be seated. If you have your copy of God's Word, if you'll open to the first book in the New Testament today, the Gospel of Matthew, and find the very first chapter, Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Thanks for the harmonica you gave me for Christmas, little Johnny said to his uncle the first time he saw him after the holidays. It's the best Christmas present I've ever got. Well, that's great, Uncle said. Do you know how to play it? Little Johnny says, oh, I don't play it. He said, my mom gives me a dollar a day not to play it, and my dad gives me five dollars a week not to play it at night. You know, sometimes a gift turns out to be even better than you first imagined. And that's what happened to the man in our story that we're going to look at again today. As you may know, if you've been with us, we're we're visiting some of the very first homes that were involved with that first Christmas so long ago. And uh, today we're going to visit the home of a young man uh, named Joseph. A young man named Joseph. And again, if you have your copy of the Word of God, if you're in the Gospel of Matthew, we'll read there in just a moment. But you know, he received a wonderful gift. Uh, The book of Proverbs, the 18th chapter, the 22nd verse says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing, and obtains favor from the Lord. And Joseph, he found favor from the Lord. He found a wife. He had a wonderful gift in a young lady named Mary. But as we're going to find out uh, in our story today, uh, the gift is even better than he first imagined. Uh, But it would not be without difficulty. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Matthew chapter 1, familiar words to many of us. We'll begin reading at verse 18 and read down through Uh, verse 25. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph... Son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which is translated, God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, beloved, you and I have heard this story so many times. We know all about this young carpenter named Joseph. We know all about his dream. We know about his care of Mary. We know the story. We forget that he was living his life, just like we're living our lives, one day at a time. You see, Joseph did not know, as he was living his life one day at a time, that one day he was going to be in our living room in our nativity set. He did not know that one day they were going to write songs about him. He didn't know of all that was to come. I mean, we're looking back on the story, but Joseph is living out one day at a time. And that's how life works. You know that, right? We're not living tomorrow, yesterday's over. We're living life one day at a time. We have this present moment. We're not promised tomorrow. 
And Joseph is there. And uh, beloved, he was just a teenage boy who was looking forward to his life with his new bride, a lovely girl named Mary. Now, it would be good for us to stop and talk about how things worked back then. Because as Americans and as we grew up, most of us here, we kind of have in our mindset how this whole marriage thing works and, and how you date someone and then you get engaged and then, then you get married and so forth. We've got to remember that they're living in a different time and a different place. They tell me, the scholars do, that the minimum uh, marriageable age in Israel, in other words, the minimum age you could be to get married was 12 for women and 13 for men. We look at that and say, wow. And in fact, they tell me to remain unmarried uh, as late as one's 20s would be a cause for embarrassment socially. And so they got married a lot younger back then. Of course, you remember, they died a lot younger too. So they got a head start on it, many of them. Now that seems odd to us because we're living in a day and a time in our country where people are waiting later and later and later and later and later to get married and later and later to, get, uh, to have children. And people want to just say, I just want to be ready. Listen, you're never going to be ready, so go ahead and get married and have children, all right? Uh, and, and God will help you and God will grow you. But let's talk about what this is. This is what the scholars tell us. Uh, Matthew's explanation can best be understood in the light of the Hebrew marriage customs. Marriages were arranged by, for individuals by parents, and contracts were negotiated. After this was accomplished, the individuals were considered married and were called husband and wife. However, they did not begin to live together at this point. Instead, the woman continued to live with her parents and the man with his for one year. And this one-year waiting period was to demonstrate the faithfulness of the pledge of purity that was given concerning the bride. If she was found to be with child in this one-year waiting period, she obviously was not pure, but had been involved in an unfaithful sexual relationship. Therefore, the marriage could be annulled. If, however, after the one-year waiting period was demonstrated the purity of the bride, the husband would then go to the house of the bride's parents and in a grand processional march lead his bride back to his home and they would begin their life living together as husband and wife. And so it's a lot different than the way we do things. You see, when they got engaged or betrothed, they were already considered husband and wife. They didn't live together yet. There was a waiting period. But they were husband and wife. And only divorce or death could then part them. Only divorce or death. Now, Mary and Joseph had already entered into that time of waiting. They were already betrothed, engaged, and they were husband and wife. They had not yet come together. They were not yet living together. And imagine the shock that Joseph felt. Now remember, he's a teenage boy. Imagine the shock that he felt when he heard that his bride, his wife, was with child. And he knew he was not the father. And so it meant that Mary had done the unthinkable. She had been unfaithful. I mean, how else would you explain the fact that she is with child? There's only one way to have a child as far as they knew, as far as we know. And yet Mary is pregnant. The news of Mary's pregnancy, when it hit Joseph's ears, it hurt his heart. It hurt his heart. You see, we read these stories and they're not just names on a page. They were living, breathing, feeling individuals. 
And it appeared that Mary had done something that would have cut Joseph to the very core of his being, stabbed him in the heart to hear that his wife, the one that he was faithfully waiting for, the one he was placed to spend his life with, had been unfaithful, at least he thought, had been unfaithful and was now with child. Why would she do this? I mean, who was the father? What was she thinking? Their future together was history now. Everything they planned, everything they dreamed, it was down the drain. How could she do this? Now remember, he's the real man. It hurt his heart. And not only did it hurt his heart, it would also hurt his reputation. It would hurt his reputation. What were people going to say? Joseph may have thought, how am I going to keep my reputation intact? I mean, won't people naturally assume right off the bat that I'm the father? That I've been unfaithful? That I've committed this thing? That I'm guilty? And he realized that unless he moved quickly to protect his own reputation, he was then trash his reputation. But then there's Mary, and he obviously loved Mary and cared about Mary, and he didn't want to hurt Mary. So how could he do this? She's hurt him deeply. But he said, I'm not going to take revenge. I'm not going to do this eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. No, I, I, I want to have grace and I want to have mercy. I want to consider her. He cares for her. I won't take revenge because Jehovah would not be pleased with that. But she's a lawbreaker. And she's obviously committed adultery. And so I can't go on with the marriage. So what can I do? I mean, this can't go on. So what can I do? I've got to end it somehow. But how? How do I go about being righteous and just and do what is right and yet still have compassion? Well, that's what we find here. He decided to do what was right, but to do it with compassion. You see, he could have made a public display of Mary. He could have... Um, possibly help his own reputation if he drug her out and said, she's been unfaithful. I'm not the father. I want this thing ended. But he decides he's not going to make a public display. He's not going to shame her any further. He decides that he will divorce her, but he'll do it as much as he can secretly and privately. What he's doing is trying to minimize any further damage to Mary, and any further hurt to Mary. Now it is true, according to the Old Testament, that someone could be put to death for adultery. In fact, you can jot these verses down. I'll read them to you. Deuteronomy 22, 23, and 24. If a young woman who is a virgin is betrothed to, her, to a husband, that's what we have here, and a man finds her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out of the gate of that city, you shall stone them to death with stones, the young woman because she did not cry out in the city, and the man because he humbled his neighbor's wife. So you shall put away the evil from among you. But I'm told that this rarely happened in this time period. In fact, I'm told that Rome had done away with the death penalty at this point for this, but she still could have been shamed in a Jewish court. And she would be shamed for sure. But Joseph says, I'm going to do what's right, but I'm going to do it with compassion. And that's just one of the lessons that we all can take from this story. Do what's right, 
but don't forget compassion. Stand for right, but don't forget compassion. But I want to draw a couple more lessons from this story and Joseph's response, if I may. Not only do we uh, find that we ought to do what's right, but do it with compassion, we also find this important lesson. Be careful in acting rashly. Be careful in acting rashly. You know, Joseph is a hero when it comes to the Christmas story. He doesn't get a lot of press. Um, you don't think about him as much. But get remember that you know Mary was hand-chosen by God to bring forth the Messiah in her womb and give birth to the Messiah. The virgin would give birth to the Savior. But remember this. The Lord also hand-selected Joseph to be the man who would serve as the adopted foster father of the Lord Jesus. And when you look at Joseph's life, he did not act rashly. Some guys, and, and you know them as well, they would have exploded. They would have been enraged. They would have been in anger. They would have drugged her out and publicly and loudly and angrily disgraced her and her family and made sure everybody knew about it. But look at what it says about Joseph. It says in verse 19 that he was a just man or a godly man. And then look at verse 20. It's very interesting what it says about Joseph at the beginning of verse 20. It says, but while he thought about these things, while he thought about these things, you know, that's just a good lesson within itself. Sometimes you can just stop and think. <coughs> just pause and think. I know that's not in, in, in popular uh, practice today, but just to stop and think. Perhaps he was there trying to fall asleep. And he's thinking and he's tossing and turning and he ends up going to sleep and ends up dreaming. And maybe as he's dreaming, he's turning this situation over into his mind. And there's a good chance that he's praying to the Lord because he's a just man, he's a godly man. I imagine he's pouring out his heart. If not at that point, he's already done it and will do it again maybe. But he's pouring out his heart to the Lord asking him, what do I do? Where do I go? His whole world's been turned upside down. And, and, And... He stops and he thinks about it. And he prays about it. And we do wise to do the same thing when a crisis comes in our life. Instead of running off at the mouth or running off and speaking to anybody who will listen, we ought to run to God and pour out our heart to Him. And say, Lord, I'm here in this crisis time. This issue's happened in my life. I don't know what to do. I'm just, I'm torn all out of the frame. I don't know how to handle this. I don't know which way to turn. I don't know what to say. I, I just, I'm crying out to you for help. To patiently wait and ponder and pray. I know those things are not in vogue today to wait and to ponder and to pray. But perhaps that's why we're in such a mess. Perhaps that's why we're so stressed. At just the right time, at just the right time, God gave him good news. Remember now, we said he's received a good gift. He that findeth a wife findeth a good thing and attaineth favor of the Lord. But it's even better than that. He's going to be the adopted father of the long-awaited Messiah. You're still in Matthew 1. Look at verse 20. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. I'm assuming he fell asleep or some kind of trance, but I'm just assuming he fell asleep. And the angel says this to him, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. In other words, she has not been unfaithful. 
Verse 21, and she will bring forth a son. Well, that's good news. But then listen to what it says. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And just so he doesn't misunderstand, this wasn't just a, a son. He's a very special son. He goes on to say in verses 22 and 23, So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, as is Isaiah, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Joseph, don't be afraid. Not only have you received favor from me and me giving you Mary, I'm going to favor you even greater because the boy that she's going to give birth to is the Messiah, the Savior, God with us. Do you know him today? Do you know him? If not, put your faith in Christ today. Be careful in acting rashly because crises are going to come. Issues are going to arise. Stop! Think, ponder, pray, wait upon the Lord. Second lesson. This is an important one. Be more concerned with what God thinks than what people think. Oh, boy, that's a hard one. Mm, 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 mm. I see people, they see me. I hear people, they hear me. The world is telling me how to think and dress and act and spend my money and spend my time and all this. And everybody's watching me. And I got all these kids at school and they're looking at me. And I got all these people at work, they're looking at me. And even the neighbors are looking at me. And, and I, I'm kind of concerned. I don't care what they think, but deep inside I really do care what they think. But here's what I'm telling you be more concerned what God thinks about you than what people think. Why do I say that? Look at verse 24. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, so it was a dream, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. Now think about that for a moment. That's very significant. His reputation would be shot now. His reputation's done. Uh, wouldn't everybody assume that they were guilty? You know, Joseph and Mary, did you hear about them? They couldn't wait. They sinned. She's pregnant. Did you notice? Did you see her? <coughs> and even if they didn't assume it was Joseph, if Joseph was just a man who decided to go ahead, wouldn't that mean that he had married a girl who had committed adultery? I mean, either way, his reputation shot. Imagine the whispers around the village. We like to imagine very hard. We live in a small town. News travels fast. We don't have a daily newspaper. We don't need one. Have you heard about Mary and Joseph? Have you seen that? Imagine how others would treat them. Some would not be quiet about it and whisper behind their backs. Some would look down their noses. Some would say mean and rude and hurtful and hateful things. And beloved, I want you to think about something. 
this would never get better. This would haunt them the rest of their days. Their entire life. In fact, it's interesting. When you have the Lord Jesus, you can jot this reference down. John 8, verse 41. He's talking to people there. And the Jews said this to Jesus, who's going about his ministry. So we're talking about he's already entered into adulthood in his ministry. In John 8, 41, here's what what it says. You do the deeds of your father. That's what Jesus said. Then they said to him, listen to what they said to him. We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Listen to what they said again. We were not born of fornication. In other words, applied, we're not like you, Jesus. We weren't born of fornication. We have one father, God. And beloved, realize that Mary and Joseph and Jesus would bear this and endure all this not because they did wrong, but because they did right. They obeyed God. They submitted to God. They were favored by God. But with that favor came hardship. They were blessed by God, but it was costly. They were highly favored, but it was costly. As Tim Keller noted, they were going to be second-class citizens forever. Forever. That's Jesus. You heard about him, didn't you? Oh, there's Mary and Joseph. Did you ever hear about them? How they got started. You see, sometimes, beloved, when you follow God, it will cause great pain and great hurt. And that seems so odd to us. But we've got to be more concerned about what God thinks than what people think. Because everybody else in the village could say anything they wanted to say, but God looked at Mary and Joseph and He was well pleased because they were highly favored by Him. Third lesson. Kind of falls on the heels of that one. Be obedient to God regardless of the cost. You know, Joseph is the unsung hero of the Christmas story. But not just the Christmas story. You see, this was not just a nine-month or six-month assignment. You know, she went off and visited with her, her cousin Elizabeth for some time. So we don't exactly when all this transpired. But this was not just a nine-month assignment. Said, okay, well, now, you know, she's brought forth her firstborn son. Now you can go about your merry way. Now this is a lifetime assignment. And Joseph's life was turned upside down. You ever had that happen to you? I mean, his world was turned upside down. Look at the character of Joseph. Look at verse 25. You may have skipped it or may or not have skipped it, but may not have realized what it says. It says, He did not know her till she brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. That doesn't mean he was unacquainted with who she was. That means he chose to remain pure sexually even after they were married, after they were living together. He did not touch her in a sexual way until after she had brought forth Jesus. Sterling character. Not only that, he obeyed the Lord in naming the child Jesus. Now, by the way, they would have other children later. 
But until Jesus was born, he exercised self-restraint and self-discipline. And, and, and the story doesn't get easier. You know, you know the story about the hardship they traveled, and she's great with the child, and, and it's convenient I'm actually preaching in the stable today. And, you know, you've got the whole scene here. But that wasn't the end. That was literally the beginning in many ways. Now, we don't know a lot about their early days of Jesus. We see him again at the age of 12. We studied that last well, it's the first part of this year, I guess it was. We looked at the, uh, the early years of Jesus. We're not told a lot, but we are told some things right after the birth of Christ. In fact, you're in Matthew 1. Go to Matthew 2. Matthew 2, look at verse 13 and 14. The wise men, you remember, come and visit. Um, in the Christmas story, that happens right after the shepherds come. But more than likely, Jesus was a toddler. They were living in a home. We can't really play that out in the Christmas play because nobody wants to sit in here for two years until we bring the wise men in. Uh, we have to bring them in like two minutes later. But here's what it says. The wise men come and look at Matthew 2, verses 13 and 14. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. I wonder if Joseph got afraid to go to sleep. Uh, but in a dream, the angel comes again saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. Don't close it up. We'll, we'll read some more there in Matthew 2 in a moment. But now remember, we're talking about a teenage boy named Joseph, a teenage girl named Mary. Their plans in their mind, they're going to live a humble life, no doubt. He was a carpenter, going to live a good life together. God has other plans. His world is turned upside down. It's a whirlwind. And even, you know, a year or two later, he has this dream. I need you to go to Egypt. Go now. And he picks it all up and he goes. Still in Matthew 2, drop down to verse 19. Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph. Oh. Where is he at? It says he appeared in a dream of Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. Obedience was costly. But it was oh so worth it. Joseph had the privilege. I've been thinking about this. Joseph had the privilege of serving as the adopted father of the Lord Jesus Christ. God with us. God in the flesh. I mean, imagine Joseph had the privilege of taking little toddler Jesus' hand and walking down the road with him. He had the privilege of taking him up in his arms. He had the privilege of watching him grow, helping him to get on his sandals, helping him to learn maybe to, to hold his spoon. He had the privilege 
was costly. But he was obedient. And he was blessed. We're not told what happened to Joseph. When Jesus is on the cross, Joseph is not there. He's moved off the scene. We assume that Joseph had passed away. We don't know at what point he passed away. You remember the Lord Jesus made sure that his mother was cared for as he was dying on the cross. And so somewhere in the early life of Jesus, he would have had to go through the process of mourning Joseph. Joseph was not his blood father. Jesus was virgin born. But he was his father from an earthly standpoint. The one who may have helped Jesus to learn the scripture and the Psalms and taught him worship and taught him carpentry skills and taught him all those things. man by the name of Joseph. And no doubt Jesus loved Joseph. And I'm convinced that he grieved at the passing of Joseph. And that he's God. Jesus did not begin in Mary's womb. He's always been. That's just where he took on flesh. And this story didn't begin there either. Jesus, God knew for all time because there's nothing he doesn't already know. There'd be a boy named Joseph and a young lady named Mary who'd be blessed and highly favored. But it was not without cost. So I say to you, Today, this was Joseph's assignment. Now, obviously, it's not ours. God has a different assignment for us. But our assignment's important too. And sometimes it involves what seems to be a crisis. And we think our world is falling apart. And at that moment, We would be wise to follow Joseph and not be rash and not blow up, but to pause and to think and to ponder and to pray and to see, Lord, is this a part of the plan maybe I never figured out? And to realize that many times our world is not falling apart. It's falling into place. Sometimes the assignment that God gives us causes other people to look upon us with disdain and to talk badly about us and to smear our name and to do whatever they can to hurt our reputation. And and when that happens, we need to come before the Lord And ask Him to examine our hearts and make sure that we are right with God. And then bring that hurt and that pain and that slander and those wounds to the Lord. 
and give them to him and to be more concerned with what God thinks and what God knows about us than what people do. And then third, if we're going to live out God's assignment, it always involves obedience. Being obedient. But obedience to God is costly. And that's okay. Beloved, can I just ask you, is there any price too high to pay for the one who gave his all for us? Jesus Christ shed his precious blood and died for us. Was buried and rose again for us. You see, Joseph received a wonderful gift when he received Mary. I'm looking forward to talking to Joseph and Mary, sitting down for a thousand years and rehashing all this out in glory. He received a wonderful gift when he received Mary, but he received something even better Emmanuel, God with us. Father, thank you for selecting people who were nobodies from nowhere. A girl named Mary, a boy named Joseph, and using them to bring forth Emmanuel. And Lord, just as you have an assignment, you had an assignment for them, you have an assignment for us. For every believer, there's work you want us to do. And Lord, I pray that we would follow the good example of Joseph today. That whether it's crisis, hardship, hurt, or pain, we would pause and ponder and think and pray and bring it to you and then step out in obedience regardless of the cost. There might be somebody listening to me right this moment and you've spoken to them and you've made plain the way and maybe they're fearful of taking that step of faith. I pray today they'll take it. May we always be faithful to you. May we always follow you. May we always love you more than anybody and anything else. Thank you for Emmanuel, God, with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know what God is saying to you, but the altar is open today. If you need to come, we help you if we can. Love to do that. If you want to just come and pray on your own, you may do that. 206 is our closing hymn, Silent Night, Holy Night. All is calm, all is bright. And as we sing, you come and spend some time with the Lord. 206, let's stand together and sing.